You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 205 with Tanya Woods Richardson. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey, you guys, I'm super excited to have Tanya on the show today. I wanted to have her on because I thought it would be really good to hear from someone, um, especially during COVID and people having financial problems and just it being a huge challenge right now to hear a journey of going bankrupt and then turning your life around. And that is what Tanya is going to share with us today. And so if you find yourself sitting in a situation where um, making money is really hard right now, um, maybe you have taken a job loss or maybe you've taken a pay cut and it is really hard for you. I hope that this episode really encourages you and inspires you to know that where you are today will not be where you are forever. And here is a perfect example example of someone turning her life around. If you know someone that is struggling and could you know, really use this episode, please share it with them. I really just want to provide encouragement and inspiration during this time. I know COVID has just been so challenging in different ways. And, um, you know, I just really want to be there for you guys. And I know there's different topics um, that could really help each other. And I know not every topic is always going to hit home, um, but I'm just trying to think of things that um, really could help you guys. And sometimes I'm just going to do a lighthearted episode. And sometimes I'm really going to dig deep because I do think that there's people that really need to hear it. And I want them to know that they're not alone in this and that people have gone before them and have really turned things around. So if you're feeling desperate right now, please, um, I hope that you find this episode really um, encouraging to you and feel free to reach out to me if you'd like. You can always email me at amber at mominspiredshow.com. Um, I would love to help you or I could connect you with Tanya. Um, so I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Hey, you guys, welcome back to my favorite things segment. Today, I'm going to talk about a career opportunity because I think it would be great um, to go along with this episode because maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've taken a pay cut. You might want to do a side hustle or you're just thinking altogether you want to change career paths. And I feel like this career, um, what I'm going to be talking about is going to be greatly needed, especially with COVID and people trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And it is a coach, but it's an Enneagram coach. So you know that I love Enneagram. Um, I had Beth McCord. She's the Enneagram coach. I've had her on several times on the show. Feel free to look up those episodes. You just can type in Beth McCord or Enneagram and um, they will pop up. And um, But if if you love Enneagram and you have a passion for coaching, I really feel like this would be a great opportunity for you. Um, it's a 12-week online program and you can also do uh, payments. So you don't have to pay upfront because I know that that could be a little bit challenging right now um, if money is a little bit tight. But some of the questions she likes to ask um, you know, to see if people are a right fit is, do you have a passion for helping others get unstuck? Are you the resident Enneagram expert among your family and friends? Has the Enneagram helped you grow in awesome ways? Do you love sharing your personal growth journey with others to help them have a more awareness uh, and grow as well? I really hacked that one up. Sorry, guys. Um, do you feel God may be calling you to boldly step out in faith with a new profession and purpose um, or maybe a side hustle that could grow into something long term? but provide additional income stability for your family right now. And that's kind of what I mentioned earlier. And then are you longing to live a life of deeper impact, helping other people grow in a self-awareness so that they can live their happiest, healthiest, and most fulfilled lives? So that's why I wanted to talk about this because you may be feeling stuck right now and you're like, man, 
I just want a job that I can really impact people and I need the flexibility because maybe you're homeschooling or maybe your schedule is just crazy and you really need to like become an entrepreneur. Um, this is a great program. Beth has done it herself. So she really knows how to walk people through this. Um, and so I want you guys to check this out. Um, there's going to be the links in the show notes. And there's also a quiz that you can take um, to see if this might be a good fit for you. So I highly recommend it. Um, the links are all in the show notes, like I mentioned. Um, if you subscribe if you subscribe to Mom Inspired Show, um, it will be in your inbox every week when you get a new episode. Um, but if you haven't subscribed, go to mominspiredshow.com, enter your name and email, and then that way you will get everything at your fingertips. You don't have to go searching for my favorite things segment um, ever again. Um, but if you wanted to you know, check out my website, you can go to my favorite things. Um, it's under the programs when you scroll down and you can find all the things in your gram because there's also courses and stuff like that. Um, but if you're just trying to keep this simple, subscribe. Um, and then that way you get the show notes right to you. Um, but go check it out, click the link, take a look at it. Um, I just think it's a great opportunity and I definitely feel like we need more life coaches right now. And so many people love Enneagram. And if you love Enneagram, this could be the perfect fit. All right, you guys, let's go to the show. Tanya, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Amber. Okay, so I like to start off every show with an icebreaker on travel. I'm a travel agent, and I just love asking my guests their favorite vacation spot and why, and it can be with or without kids. So hands down, my favorite vacation uh, was Maui. It was uh, 2016, I believe it was, and uh, it was truly a getaway. I'm kind of an A-type personality where I'm go, go, go. And Maui was the one place that uh, that allowed me and my daughter and my husband at the time to just really decompress and do nothing. Yes, I love Maui. Um, so I had clients that were going to go in July and it was going to be a big multi-generational trip celebrating their 50th anniversary. And we had to cancel it. And it's just so heartbreaking. I mean, I just feel like so many people probably experienced sad cancellation of trips this year. So um, Maui is awesome. I haven't been there, I feel like, in maybe hmm, 13 years. I mean, gosh, time just goes by. I mean, sometimes you think about things and you're like, wait, didn't we just go like five years ago? And you're like, no, that was over a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? Well, I think that's the gift in COVID too, is it's making us appreciate these uh, these memories and these opportunities even more so. Yes, for sure. Okay, so let's jump in. Share with us your name, where you live, how many kids you have and their ages. So my name is Tanya Woods Richardson and uh, I live in Canada. I'm across the border and I am right now in a city called Saskatoon in a province called Saskatchewan. So central Canada and um, Montana and, and Dakota are, are to the to the south of me. Um, I have a beautiful, inside and out, a beautiful daughter. Uh, she's 11. Her name is Sophie, and she means the world to me. And uh, about to go into grade seven, and we haven't quite decided yet if we're going to do that online or in the classroom, but we've got uh, we've got a couple days still. Yeah, that was so stressful for me trying to figure that out um, when the girls were going to go back to school. We ended up landing on, um, they were going to go in, um, if they could, but if it's a certain level, then they go to remote. So my first grader started in school, my fourth grader started out and, but now they're both in. So who knows? Um, we talked about this before we started recording that, um, this is not the year of autopilot, meaning that it's not going the way that you are used to and, and just having to shift all the time. So that is the, uh, the year of shifting. <laughs> 
Yes, the year's shifting. Get comfortable being uncomfortable because it's <laughs> lots of shifts, lots of shifts. Exactly. Okay, so um, before we jump into the interview, um, how about you just share with us, um, you know, how this journey started for you and how you got to where you are today so that the listeners have a little bit of um, a better understanding of your background. Sure, absolutely. And it's uh, th- this piece is usually quite fascinating for people because it's, it's counter intuitive to what a lot of people think a a money expert should be. Um, So really, quite honestly, I've struggled with money for a good portion of my life. Uh, It started when I was 18 with $21,000 of consumer debt, aka credit card debt, and really went on to to me accepting um, low paying jobs, thinking that, you know, once I got in there, I would just prove my worth and my compensation would follow suit. And Inevitably, the responsibility always grew, but the compensation never did. And uh, even in my businesses, so I started my first business when I was 18. And in my businesses, I struggled with uh, with money as well. And, and primarily, it was about setting the right price and going after collections and, you know, just getting paid. So at the at the bottom of all of that, the root cause of all of that, really, quite honestly, was um, was a great struggle with um, with finding my sense of self worth, and really looking externally for people to validate me and letting me know that I measured up versus me finding that for myself. So, you know, I, it, people talk about the whispers to the brick, and so all of those events were the whispers. And then in two thousand and nine, the brick landed. And that was um, that was a bankruptcy. It was a business insolvency. My husband at the time, um, his business went insolvent too. But because there was millions of dollars of personal of debt attached to us personally, with that, um, we we went on the bankruptcy ride. And um, it you know it was definitely a painful experience. But I'm I'm really excited to be speaking to people right now about money, especially through COVID, because a lot of people are fearful and they're anxious and, you know, a lot is going on. But I need people to know that COVID didn't cause our financial fragility. It simply exposed it, just like the economic turmoil of 2008 exposed it for me. And so, you know, bankruptcy was definitely that was my pivot point. That's when I said, never friggin again, am I going to go through this? And so it's what motivated me to take the next 10 years to figure out how to once and for all master money. And it's not what people think. It's not just money management. It's actually three realms that need to be um, worked in conjunction with one another for us to finally get uh, a handle on it. And it's money management, money mindset, and money motive. And and Amber, this is why you know I'm so excited to be here today to just share um, a high overview of what this looks like for people, so that they know there's hope on the other side of this. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that stand out to me is that women, especially, I feel like they undercharge for their businesses and stuff like that. And I'm curious to what did you learn about charging what you're worth? Um, Because I think there is a misconception that if you're charging too much, then you're not going to be able to get as many people and therefore you're not going to make as much money. Um, So I would love for you to share with us a little bit about how you figured that out to where you felt like you were comfortable with it. And then also to be like, yeah, this is actually working. Because it's one thing to say that I'm going to charge, right? But then you haven't really found that to be working. So um, if you would share with us your experience, that'd be great. 
Absolutely. So I think, you know, in bankruptcy, bankruptcy taught me a lot for sure. Um, And it's really where I started to better understand money management. But to answer your question specifically, it's it's a two pronged approach. And the very first thing that we need to do, whether we're an entrepreneur or we're not, is to figure out ourselves financially at home, to figure out our personal relationship with money, because our, our relationship with money in business How we manage our business financially is really just a mirror of our personal relationship with money. We don't we don't automatically turn it on for business if we've been struggling at home. So um, the, the first thing that I always find really interesting is that we are in a society where we do what we can with what we make. And I'm talking about our personal finances right now. So I'm going to repeat that because it's important. We do what we can with what we make. And there's actually five essential pillars in finance. And these apply to both um, our personal finances as well as our business finances. So in our in 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 life, we've got to look at um, we've got to look at the savings pillar, the spending pillar, investing, sharing. And so just to clarify what these things are, savings is short-term security. It's the emergency net. Spending, we've got our needs, our wants, what I call splurges, as well as debt repayment. We have investing, which is long-term security. This is the act of us putting aside money every month so that by the time we come to retire, we have enough. So savings is short-term security, investing is long-term security. And then we have the category or the pillar of sharing which in my world, one is taxes, because sharing is about, uh, it's about social impact, economic impact, environmental impact. So taxes fit into that. And it's also about charitable giving. So the first step, I'm coming back to answer your question here. The first thing we need to do is understand how much money we truly need to make, which is the fifth pillar, which is earning. So when we actually sit down and do the math behind what do we need to generate so that each one of these pillars is actually sound and solid, now this influences how much money we need to earn. And especially for women entrepreneurs, we're typically operating our business on a wish and a frigging prayer. We're paying ourselves last and we're taking whatever scraps we can manage to pull together at the end of the month. And I tell you, it is an eye opener when women have to see for the first time, when they have to get real about how much money truly needs to be earned to put them and their family in a place of financial security, it then motivates them to go, okay, I need to turn up my game. This is time to really step it up. Now, that number is now what we take that number and we bring that over to a business budget. And we actually do the exact same thing in business. We go through each one of those pillars. But I tell you, when you know what you really need to be bringing home, all of a sudden this wishy-washiness on, oh, I can't really afford to charge that, it, it completely changes the game. So that's, you know, high level, that's how we do it. But it really does start at home. It starts with understanding what we need to be making. Yeah, so I think... What I'm hearing you say is that people aren't really thinking about what is realistic with what they need to make to live the lifestyle that they want. So when they really think about it, then it helps them to be like, okay, like 
I need to be charging this much or we're never going to hit those numbers. Is that pretty much like what you're saying? It is. I think with one little caveat, though, it's not necessarily realistic. I wouldn't use that word because I don't want people to start thinking that, oh, we have to go on this, you know, debt diet and we have to curb all of our spending. It is that people are not aware of how much money truly needs to be earned to afford the lifestyle that they want to live, which includes the travel. Yeah, because life is meant to be experienced. It's that we are typically spending our society in North America is typically overspending on things that hurt us, bad food, bad experiences. And we're not budgeting for the experiences that enrich us. We're putting it on credit. So it's just about getting very aware, crystal clear, as I call it, around really how much money needs to be earned so that you can live a life that enriches you and your family and that you're financially secure. Because it's people keep thinking that there's this ceiling that you can only make so much. And that is not the truth. And that that then we move into money mindset. But the first piece, the first job that we all have to do is to get crystal clear on how much money needs to be earned. Yeah, I agree. Do you feel that like a lot of people that you've worked with, um, do you feel like a lot of people are actually in debt? Or do you feel like a lot of people are not in debt? Um, I, in my experience, mm-hmm. the vast majority of people are in debt there. We're carrying tremendous amounts of consumer debt. Um, the number escapes me in the States. I know in Canada, it's $27,000 per person. We're the worst country in the world. The States is actually lower than us. Mm. But this is consumer debt. This is not mortgage debt. Right. So we're overspending and there's a reason for it. And it's not what people think. It's, you know, and we'll get into that in yeah. a moment, but, um, the, the other piece that I just, you know, if, if I can just tap into this ever so quickly, especially for the moms, um, out there with the kids, you know, just a couple quick things that we can do in our language to better, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say educate, but inspire or inform our children about money is that, you know, under savings, we teach our kids safe to spend, right? Just the language we use safe to spend. You want the book? We'll save up your money. So I would encourage moms to start changing that language and just have their kids form a collection, right? Like I'm collecting to actually be able to, to afford this book. Um, you know, spending for the longest time, just because of my relationship with money, I realized that I put a lot of, um, emphasis on not spending for my daughter, right? It was like, you know, why do you want to buy that? Why do you want to buy that? You know, really think that through and recognizing that it's important to buy things. That's where we get some of our gratification. We take great pride in ownership. It's in the overspending that we're doing. Um, And then, you know, I'm actually going to put a lot of this online because I want to use this conversation for some high level discussion here, but um, really just the power of um, investing in compounded interest. Have you ever had uh, guests on the show that are talking about the value of compounded interest and what that means for kids and investing? Um, A little bit, but I, I would love for you to explain that. So just really high level. It's just kind of how we 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 can turn things around in terms of our perception. So investing usually gets met with a lot of apprehension and anxiety and, you know, where would I even put it? But there's a very simple rule of thumb. It's called um, the rule of 72. 
And so I will put online a, a calculator you can use. But when you take 72 and you divide it by the interest rate that you're going to receive on an investment, I'm not going to dive into the whole world of investing, but I typically like to invest in index funds. They're easy for me and I can easily get anywhere from 8, 9, 10% on it. But you take 72, you divide it by the interest rate, and that will equal the number of years it will take for that investment to double. So what our kids have that we do not have, the advantage that they have over us is time. Because when it comes to money making money, the time is where the, it's the magic factor. It's, it's what creates um, great, some great amounts of wealth with, uh, you know, without doing anything. So I'm just going to throw these numbers out there for everyone listening because I hope this is a game changer. If we were to just simply invest $25 a week into an investment that gets 8% and you can speak to an advisor about 8%, you can actually go to your bank and set up your own investment account, like open up an index fund. It's so easy to do. If you were to put that $25 aside every week um, and, and just continue to do that up until your child was 60, you would have amassed um, $20 a week. You would have amassed $1.5 million and change for your child. Wow. That's it. $1.5 million. If you were to just up that ever so small and, and put in $25 a week, you would have amassed $1.9 million. So it's, it's, you know, if moms can just wrap their head around that just for a moment with their kids, when we think about the money we spend on them right now, the drive throughs, right on the foods and the ice cream and all this, the activities that they do, if we could just turn a habit into putting that $25 aside, our kids will have close to $2 million by the time they're 60. That is amazing. Yeah. So simple. So that's a that's a big piece. I want the I would love for the moms to take away from this, and I'll make sure that the the calculators are all online, so you can see how much money you could actually start to pull together. But it's it's really powerful stuff. Yeah, and you know that leads me to my next question. What would you say? And I feel like this is obviously a really important one that you just shared. Um, but what is the most important money lessons that we can pass on to the kids? So again, I think it is. Um, let's just remove the language about saving to spend. Um, let's get that out of the framework. Let's showing them that let's show them that spending, like when they buy something, to treat it with respect and reverence. Sharing, um, you know, that a portion of their money can go to friends. It can go to organizations that they care about. The one thing that I keep hearing over and over and over again from parents that don't have a strategy on um, on taxes or on charitable giving is they say we don't have enough money. We're going to talk about this in a moment, but your kids are hearing that language. Our kids hear when we say, oh, I don't have cash on me. Oh, we don't have enough money for that. They are hearing it. They're observing it. They are attaching an interpretation to it. And then they're attaching a, an emotion to it. And that is forming the basis for their programming with money going forward. The same way that we took that from our parents. So we need to be very aware of the language that we use with with sharing. And so out of all of that, one of the things that I do with 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 my daughter is I want to get her into a, a good habit of um, of allocating her money as soon as she earns it. 
So the other piece that I think is important here is how Sophie earns her money. So she earns her money not by being a part of our community and cleaning up the house and the, the errands around the house, because that's just her responsibility. I might sound like a harsh mom here, but it's it's about going above and beyond. It's about showing up powerfully and solving problems that are outside of our general um, community. So things like helping me in the business, things like helping me organize my files, things like, you know, inputting my numbers or helping around the community. So with that, it's how she's earning money. But then when she gets the money in, what's really important is that she's actually allocating 25% of everything that she earns into one of these pillars. So if she's making a dollar, she's putting 25 cents into save, she's putting 25 cents into spend, she's putting 25 cents into share, and she's putting 25 cents into invest. And quite honestly, I know, I think that, you know, if we were all to adopt um, a, a habit of doing that when we were younger, we would not see the financial chaos that we're seeing right now on so many levels. Um, so yeah, so that's how we do this at home. Yeah, I like that. And I agree. I do think that you have to teach that from a young age for it to be normal feeling, right? And so um, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with Dave Ramsey? Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. so Dave Ramsey, uh, his headquarters is here. So um, a lot of people that follow him have the whole like giving, um, spending, saving, all that kind of stuff and emergency funds and stuff like that. So um, I love that, you know, and I do think it makes such a big difference. And I do love how he always says, live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. So the whole love point, it. right, is like, you have to go against the grain a little bit of what people are doing, like having consumer debt, and then so that you can then live later an amazing life, um, you know, when everyone else is having to pay the price of all these, yeah. you know, decisions that they made. So when you're saying all of that, it totally rings true. And I, I completely understand. And I think those are such great lessons to learn. Um, is there anything else that you want to touch on, on the money lessons for the kids before we jump on to um, the next thing that I'm gonna talk about is the financial legacy. So I just want to make sure I didn't cut you off. Yeah, no, I think I, you know, I think that uh, I think we've covered those were what I will say is that, you know, oftentimes, and I'll speak to this a little bit later, but oftentimes we're so afraid to share our financial mistakes and mishaps with our kids. Um, and so it's not so much a lesson for them. It's more a lesson for us that when we can share with them the situation that we're in the middle of and we can show them the solution that we're looking to then implement and then the outcome what I believe happens in this situation is that they feel safe to make mistakes too. And right now we're living in a generation where there's so much shame and guilt attached to money and the decisions that we've made with it, that um, it's when we're silent about our mistakes, this is what perpetuates the shame and the guilt. And then this is what our kids grow up in, which is, which is a great segue here into, into the mindset piece that you want to cover. Yeah. So I did want to bring that up with the financial legacy and, you know, just passing on to kids unintentional thought processes and whatnot in regards to money. What do you recommend for people trying to pass on a financial legacy, but in good standing, not obviously a bad, yeah. <laughs> a bad yeah. financial legacy? Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's dissect this a little bit. So I'm just going to come back to the magic number, which is, you know, when we do the money management and we actually understand now how much money we truly need to be earning um, and we have clarity around that, there's two reasons why we aren't earning that number. And this is where we're going to be talking about legacy. Um, one, we didn't know what the number was. 
And two, it was our programming, the programming that we took on. And so there's three different uh, areas in which we amassed that programming. One was what I call developmental programming. So zero to 12. And these were all the situations that we observed as kids, the same way the kids are observing our situation now, especially through COVID. But these are all the situations that we observed, the words um, that we heard, the, uh, the situations that we saw, right, the actions that we saw our parents taking, and the energy that we felt. All of that went into our developmental programming. The other piece of programming is what we call inherited programming. And so this is the science of epigenetics. And this is usually what blows people away because a lot of people have heard about developmental programming, but inherited programming and epigenetics is really just the science of understanding how our cells are reading the DNA sequences within it, right? So it's it's genetics and we're familiar with height and, and eye color and, and some, you know, inherited diseases. But what they've gone on to prove is that emotional trauma that didn't get resolved goes back three generations. So three generations of emotional trauma that was unresolved gets embedded at a cellular level. And what most people usually come back to me with is like, oh my gosh, we're talking about money. So why are you getting into all of this? But I need people to know that the it's the the emotions that are programming the cells. And then it this the, once these cells are programmed, the way that our brain works is that all of this programming is influencing every single decision that we make whether it's the partner we choose, the kids we have, the money we make, the jobs we accept, the business we start, the price we set, it is all based on our programming. And so if we have not been making the magic number, it is because our programming is resisting it. So at the base of this inherited programming, when we think about emotional trauma, and actually, let me just share this with you, because this one is kind of to wrap your head around this. There's a point in time where when your when your grandmother is five months pregnant with your mother, mm. your precursor cell is being established. So from that point forward, from five months on up until the time your, your mom is actually uh, born, you're all sharing the same emotional environment. So if your grandmother, and when we think about our grandparents and the, the environment in which many of them were in, war-torn countries, there's loss, there's famine, there's depression, there's hardship. They come over to North America. They're trying to make a new start. Um, when we think about the emotion that they were sitting in, these emotions are what are programming ourselves. And it is what is breeding the sense of familiarity for us. So oftentimes with inherited challenges, financial challenges, I hear a lot of people say, um, or sorry, I'm giving some examples. I don't want to carry cash in my wallet because I'm afraid I'm just going to lose it. And when we look back to their early childhood, there wasn't a great sense of money being lost everywhere. They weren't losing their wallet. That hadn't happened to them. Um, or they're afraid things are going to burn up. Or they have this sense that they feel guilty or bad about something and they can't attribute it to an early childhood 
um, uh, situation. So those are usually signs of inherited trauma. And then the third area is in utero. And so our first emotional environment outside of our grandmother is when our mother is carrying us. And if for whatever reason she is distracted while we're in utero, our emotional environment doesn't feel safe. So it could be things like miscarriages, abortions that kids had. She she had adoptions before uh, we were we were in utero. It could be that there's um, challenges with a partner, a spouse, siblings, uh, parents. We never know, but for whatever reason, if our mother feels emotionally um, distant from us, that she just can't put all of her love and attention on us, our emotional environment feels unsafe. And this is why I believe we struggle with debt, we struggle with not building savings accounts, and we struggle with investing, because those three things challenge our sense of security. And if we've had those situations in those early years for us, then what our brain is familiar with is uncertainty, insecurity, not knowing what's going to happen. So there's a lot there, Amber, and, you know, there's a lot to dissect there, but I want people to understand that every decision that they are making with money, it's because their brain wants to keep them in a place that they are familiar with. And so whatever your financial situation feels like right now, it is most likely that this is the doing of our subconscious and wanting to keep it in a state that it's familiar with. So once we become aware of what the heck is actually going on in our brain, awareness actually is a huge part of the healing piece. And once we're aware, now we can actually start to share with our kids what our programming looks like, because it's inevitable that they've taken on a piece of this. And so, you know, one really important thing here that I want everyone to know, especially you know, as a mom, now we can start to feel guilty about, oh, my gosh, what emotional environment have I given my child? And, you know, what was going on when I was pregnant with my kids? Um, so everything can be healed. And what's really important, though, for people to know is that even for us, when we think about our own programming, we have to be mindful that, A, we observed what was going on. So outside of the inherited piece and outside of the in utero, when we talk about developmental programming, we observed what was going on. We then chose to interpret that situation in a specific way. We made a choice as to how we were going to perceive that situation. The same way that people are looking at COVID, some people are actually really excited about the opportunities for growth and development and connection, and other people are terrified. It's the exact same situation. It's just being perceived different ways. So we observe a situation, we interpret it differently, and then we attach an emotion to it. And that emotion is what is at the basis of our programming, as we talked about. So the same is true for our kids. And for the moms out there that want everything to be perfect, we all do really as moms, right? We all want to give our kids the best environment possible and to shelter them from pain and mistakes and, um, you know, mishaps. But at the end of the day, we can do the best we can with the tools that we have the same way our parents did for us. And then our child will choose to interpret it a completely different way. 
So the only way around that is to continue to ask your child how they feel about what you're doing and then to clarify for them what your intention behind your action is. That's all we can do. And then the choice is theirs. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I'm sure everyone's thinking, wait, what was my grandmother doing at the time? She was pregnant. Was she smoking? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Everyone's still 10 minutes behind on that one. So you have to rewind this to like process it. There is a lot there. I know there's a lot there. I just want people to know that it, the, the programming is really behind the, the decisions that we make and we can change our programming. It's very simple. It's very simple. Well, and we're almost at the end of the show and I have one more question, but I, I do want to ask this question. What do you recommend for people that are noticing that correlation of like what you described? So for example, my dad is Indonesian. He's from Indonesia. At the time that he was born, it was not good. There, The, um, the Japanese had taken over and there were concentration camps. So he was born as a baby into that. So talk about stressful, right? I mean, and so I have never even talked about this on the show before. So people might be like, whoa, she's Indonesian. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about that and thinking she, my grandmother was like so worried about, I think, trying to find food for my dad um, as a baby and stuff like that. And it was just very stressful. And so it made me think like, oh, wow, you know, like kind of what does that look like down the pipeline through my dad, through me and all that kind of stuff. So you know, if people are kind of putting the two to two together and or people grew up in the depression and then you can mm -hmm. see how that went into from their grandparent to their parent to themselves, what yeah. is the best way to overcome that um, so that you don't just keep living in that, I, I don't know, that that legacy, right? How, how do you turn that around um, once you figure out that there could be um, some generational stuff that's going on? Okay. Awesome question. So yeah, typically there always is generational stuff going on. Um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of clients that I work with that uh, their parents have passed or the grandparents have passed and they can't get to the root of, you know, what that environment might've looked like for them. You'd be amazed that as you start to just kind of sit in the story and do research and you're Googling it, or, you know, you're watching documentaries, this is a fascinating fact. Anytime you get emotionally triggered, any single time you could be watching a, a documentary and tears are, you know, tears and snot flying off your face. Anytime you're getting emotionally triggered, it is showing you what is at the basis of your programming. So don't dismiss it. Most people just go, oh, my God, that was so sad. And they try to hide it away and shove it away and turn the movie off and try to, you know, recalibrate really quickly. So it's important to actually process the emotion. What was I feeling? Why was I feeling it? What was that, you know, what was the story of that person and, and what was the emotion and what did I most want to have happen in this situation? Because that's how you start to heal your yourself is to understand what what you would need to feel better in that situation. And then you can start to do it for yourself. So first thing is awareness, not to hide from the emotion, but to really sit in it and feel it and process it to the best of your ability. So. The second piece that people need to be aware of, this was the mistake that I made for probably, well, for a good chunk of my life up until three years ago, is I kept trying to fix myself. I kept trying to dig deeper, dig deeper. Um, it was, I just thought, I'm just never fixed. I'm never fixed. So I kept trying to 
pull all this stuff together thinking that, you know, once I fixed my past, then that would heal me. So what actually heals is yes, to be aware of it. That actually does a lot of the healing right there to be aware of it and to accept it. And then what we have to do, this is the simplest piece of the methodology. It's what I call the motive. You have to choose a new emotion. You have to choose, if you're thinking that your magic number is about safety and security, you have to find a way to feel safe and secure right now. Or maybe it's about happiness and joy. You have to find a way to feel happy and joy right now. Because the science of this, the biology of this, I'm going to explain this quickly, is that If emotions programmed ourselves in the first place, emotions are what reprogram the cells. So we have to show we're almost coaxing our subconscious. We're saying subconscious, this is what safety and security feels like. You actually have to feel it. You don't look at a vision board. You don't look at the word. You have to feel what safe and secure feels like. You have to feel what happiness feels like. The more you show your subconscious that this is what safety feels like, then it will actually start to make decisions on your behalf that align with safety and security. And you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be like, I actually feel like paying off the credit card or I actually Mm -hmm. feel like putting $500 to the credit card today. What is that? I actually feel like putting the $25 into my child's investment account. So you, it just starts to happen on autopilot because you're showing your subconscious what the emotion feels like. And the more you do it, the faster you reprogram. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it does. So I'm glad that you went over that. Yeah, that's important. That's the, that's the key to all of the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and Tanya, we're almost at the end of the show. So I did want to say, is there anything else that you wanted to add? I know we just went through a lot of stuff, oh. which is great. Um, But is there anything you want to add um, for, you know, life lessons to teach the kids that you didn't touch on that you really want the moms to know? Or do you feel like you kind of covered everything? You know what, the the one thing I will leave people with is an invitation to take a money type quiz. This is what was a game changer for me. So it's on my website. And I think we'll have the website in the notes. But you will need to invest about five minutes of your time. It's not a quick quiz. There's 79 adjectives. And what you'll get in return is you'll get a full report of the different money types that are at play right now in your relationship with money. Because when you can see it from an archetype perspective and you can see whether it's the martyr, which a lot of women are, self-sacrificers, high perfectionists, right? The martyr, the warrior, the magician, the innocent, the fool, uh, there's eight of them. When you can see what's at play, you're able to see your situation with a very different lens. And again, for me, that was that's what motivated me because I thought I saw the money martyr in me playing out and I knew I was passing the martyrdom on to my daughter. And sometimes it's easier for us to be motivated because of our kids versus ourselves. So I thought that that's really what did it for me. It was 2014. And that's when I got into behavioral finance and neuroeconomics. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, Tanya, I think we could just keep talking about this for a long time because it's such great information. And like you said, I will put this in the show notes so that people can get to your website and um, take this quiz. It sounds amazing. Um, But thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was so great talking with you. Oh, well, thank you, Amber. Thank you very much for all the work that you do. Hey, you guys, have you subscribed to the Mom Inspired Show email list yet? 
If you want to have discounts sent to your email and links to the books we discuss on the show, as well as all the guests' information, then you will want to subscribe. That way, every episode will show up in your inbox every Tuesday, and you won't have to go searching for the newest episode. It will be right at your fingertips. So just go to mominspiredshow.com and scroll down and enter your name and email, and you will be all set. See you next week.